everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. Okay, so the K-drama that I'm going to be chatting about with you guys today is one that I'm really excited about. Um, It is called... Oh, (laughs) my whole life I've always thought it was called Splish Splash Love, Um, but apparently it's called Splash Splash Love and I'm a lunatic and um, never actually read that properly ever once, um, ever. Wow, how embarrassing. All right, so the drama that I'm talking about today is called Splash Splash Love, um, which in Korean it says is Pung, Pung Tang, Pung Tang Love. Hmm, interesting. All right, so the reason that I chose to talk about this drama today, one was because I wanted to talk about a historical drama while talking about my historical fiction, um, and this drama is set mostly in the Joseon dynasty, so very much kind of looks similar to where my book is set, and that was the only kind of tenuous link at all between my book and this drama. There is no other link at all. (laughs) So the other reason that I chose to talk about this, so I watched this drama when it first came out, um, pretty much straight away. I loved it. Um, it's been many years, so I decided to rewatch it. Um, and I decided to rewatch it because my old Korean teacher, who used to teach me Korean language back when I was, um, you know, amazing and and actually did learn that language, and now I don't do that anymore, which is really sad. Um, but basically, she moved back from my country back home to Korea, and we keep in touch a lot. We email and we see each other. Like if I manage to get over there, which I haven't, because you know. 2020, all the things. Um, And if she gets back to my country, which, you know, she hasn't because of 2020 and traveling not really being the thing to do right now. But anyway, that was a really long, boring intro to the fact that she said to me, have you watched this drama? And I said, why, yes, I have watched this drama. What a cool drama to talk about on my podcast show. So that's where all that went. So I decided to rewatch it. Um, So Splash Splash Love is only two episodes long. So this is It is a total mini drama. It's basically just a movie length show. Um, But I just think like, I don't know. I find this show endlessly impressive. I think it did well when it came out, like for a two episode show, I feel like people were talking about it. Um, And I think it's just so unbelievably solid. Like my kind of thoughts on the whole thing is that it is written so well. Like, you know, it's a love story, but it's so much more than that. It's a time slip drama where a high school girl gets, you know, sucked back into Joseon times. So it starts off very funny, very quirky, you know, very fish out of water. And it very, like, it just builds so slowly. So at first, like, 
you know, it's just silly and funny. And then suddenly you realize that you really feel like these people are falling in love, like they're really getting to know each other. Like, and I think for something that's movie length to really get across the very slow buildup and progression of a love story, the way that this show does, like for me, I find that so impressive. And also when you think of that tone of being quite, you know, quite fun and quirky, and then also managing to be deeply romantic and super swoony as well in a serious kind of way, as well as having this kind of character development arc, which is all about, you know, finding your confidence in yourself and believing in yourself and realizing that you're worth something. Like, there's so much packed, I think, in terms of themes and story into such a tiny, tiny little package. Um, it also looks great. I think aesthetically, it's a very good looking drama. On top of that, you know, the characters in it are also very good looking. So it's nice to look at on all the different levels. And on top of that, you know, they're all dressed in awesome Joseon clothes, um, but also, uh, you know, high school girl from the future is looking hilarious in, you know, old man minister clothes and things like that. So I highly recommend this drama. I think um, particularly if you like the old, you know, the time slip thing, the fish out of water thing, um, I do. I'm really into that kind of stuff. I think it's really cute. Um, but I also think that this show is just really romantic. And sometimes I am in the mood for a romance. And I think this show really hits that spot. So I guess I'll just talk a little bit. Oh, I didn't even tell you guys anything. So it's two episodes. Like I said, it came out in 2015. Um, so the actors in it, very interesting. Upon my rewatch, I realized that I knew both side actors, like second male lead, second female lead, and both of them are, you know, getting their own lead roles these days. But anyway, so the lead actor, well, really, um, this is a it's more focused on the female lead. So she is the main character. She is played by the actress Kim Sul-gi and her character's name is Jung Dunby. So Dunby is a high school girl from, you know, now or, you know, five years ago, um, as I record this in 2015 is when she is, not when I am, because I'm in 2020, which doesn't matter. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Getting off track. Um, so Kim Sul-gi is an actress that I fucking love. Like, she's really good. Um, I feel like she's often kind of relegated to sort of comedic roles, like not so much female lead or swoony stuff. Although maybe that's not really true. She's actually been in quite a few dramas I've seen her in that she gets like a real swoony love line now that I'm thinking about it. Um, so I very first saw her in one of my favorite dramas of all time, which is called Flower Boy Next Door, which has the actress Park shin and also the actor Yoon Chi-yoon in it. It is like a fluffy, gorgeous emotional romantic rom-com. I adore that drama, Flower Boy Next Door. I've got an episode on it if you want to go back and listen or if you're thinking of watching it. Um, so Kim Sul-gi is in that drama. She plays a side character and she is fucking hilarious in it. Like so funny. I just like she really stood out in that drama and um, she made a really deep impression on me, I suppose. So I next saw her as a side character in another drama that I really, really loved, which Ooh, now I'm thinking about that. I'm like, ooh, I should do that one on this show. Um, so maybe I'll have a future episode on this one. What was it called? It's like about mermaids or some shit and I've totally forgotten what it's called. Oh no. 
I should look it up, but I'm not going to. But anyway, Kim Sogi had a side character role in that, along with Namju Hyuk, back before Namju Hyuk was such a big actor. Um, so they had a side romance and it was super swoony, actually. That was a really fun show. I'm definitely going to do that in the future. So don't worry if I can't remember the name now, because I will tell you one day when I watch it again. Um, so she was great in that. So I just, I've seen her in a lot of stuff. Of course, she plays the ghost in Oh My Ghost. Um, it's probably one of her most famous roles, um, but I had mixed feelings about that drama. Um, as I've waffled on about a lot in the past. Um, so Kim Sul-gi is fantastic in this. I really, really like her. I like her character. I like the way she is both hilarious, quirky and funny, but also isn't just that, I guess it's not surface. She also has all these like fears and vulnerabilities. And she also has this very swoony love story in this drama as well. So the male lead who plays the king, which I actually find this really hilarious. And I was thinking again this week as I watched this show, what a hypocrite I am on, on my podcast show all the time, because everything I say always turns out to then, you know, not be true. Um, so I've complained a lot, like every time I watch a historical drama, I'm like, kings are boring. I hate kings. And of course, I watched this drama. I was like, oh, this king is great. I love him. He does all sorts of stuff. <laughs> it's so good. So I feel like I've broken my pattern of not liking king characters. Um, so the actor is Yoon Doo-Joon. So Yoon Doo-Joon, I feel like... I don't think this was the first time I ever saw him. He is, I think he's an idol. I think he's in a boy band. I think, I don't know which one, sorry. Um, I don't follow K-pop as much as I do the K-dramas. Um, I really, really like him. So I think the first time I saw him was in an older Korean drama called Let's Eat. I only ever watched Let's Eat 2, um, even though there's three seasons of that show, but I loved Let's Eat 2. And he, I feel like when I first picked up that show, I was like, who is this dude? Like, mm, I don't know. I didn't care about him. And then more and more as I watched Let's Eat 2, I was like, this guy is so good. He's so handsome. He's so, like, I loved his character. Um, he just like grew on me hardcore. And by the end of it, I was like swooning, like he's very handsome. Um, but I'm not sure I thought that straight away, but I, you know, he's super handsome and fantastic. And he's really, really good in this drama. Again, just that mix of being hilarious and silly and then also you know making you sit up and take notice because he's swoony as hell like and I, I think that's such a cool thing to be able to do to be able to be in even just one episode because this drama is so short to really flip from being really silly and embarrassing and you know idiotic to being like full romantic hero type you know swoony kiss stuff all right <laughs> i'll get on with things um so the second female lead is played by the actress jin kiju and jin kiju is now you know a full-on leading actress i guess you would say yeah so she starred in come and hug me which i loved um a mellow a beautiful mellow romance and she also starred in the drama um the secret life of my secretary which i've covered on this show before in the past 
Um, I love her. I love her so much. This is obviously a very small little side role, but even in this, I think she's just, she's charming as hell. I like her a lot. Um, so I'm looking forward to her next drama as a lead. Um, and then the second male lead is played by the actor An Ho Sop. So I was really interested to see his face in this because I kind of just had this idea in my head that An Ho Sop just sprung out of nowhere, um, but clearly he didn't. So he's been around for at least five years as I record this. Um, so he's a very small, they both have very small kind of side roles in this um but I liked it I liked it a lot I like them both in it a lot the side characters um but Ani Hosop the actor um I first saw him in the drama that the name I've totally forgotten <laughs> where the girl's like she goes into a coma until she's 30 and it's a romance he plays like the main male lead's younger brother um, he's really cute in that. And then of course he had the lead role in Dr. Romantic 2, which I sort of kind of attempted to watch, but I feel like I was in the wrong mindset for it. And I could potentially really enjoy that show if I tried it again. So I'm not fully sold on An Hosop. I don't know if I love him. Um, but I did really, I do enjoy him in this drama. Um, but yeah. Okay. So that's like, oh my gosh, I'm waffling so much. <laughs> it's probably because it's book launch week. Like, you know, a lot, a lot's going on for me right now. <laughs> All right. So I think what I'm going to do is just, uh, do the setup, I guess. I'm just going to keep this like a normal sort of, you know, K-drama discussion. Okay. So the setup. Um, so Kim Silky plays a high school girl in 2015 called Dan Um, she is like maybe a week out from her final high school exams and she, like the pressure is getting to her. I found this, I really like this. Um, so she's not like one of these intense students. Like she's not top of the class. She's completely average in school. Um, you know, she doesn't have like immense family sort of pressure, but she does have, you know, her mum wants her to do well and is kind of saying to her things like, you know, this is going to decide the rest of your life. And you know what? Her mum's not wrong. That is what these kind of big, massive exams kind of are meant to do. Um, so the pressure on her is immense, but I kind of love that she's an average student. She's not top of the class. She's not bottom of the class. She's just, but at the same time, like this pressure is getting to her. So I really, really loved the introduction of Dunby and her world and the way that she relates. Like she has this best friend who is gorgeous, who is Jin Ki-ju's character, um, who's just very charming. And, you know, they're obviously really close. And I don't know, I think it's this idea that Dunby doesn't really know where she's going. She doesn't really know what she wants. The pressure of, you know, this everything leading to this moment, this exam is just a little bit too much for her. And there's just this feeling of like panic, I think, as it's growing, you know, more and more, she is not really able to handle what's going on in her life. So in a lot of ways, I think it starts off in quite, I don't want to say melancholy, that's not exactly right, but it does feel very poignant and very moving, this kind of characterization of Danby as this normal girl who is sort of feeling a little bit disconnected from, I guess, what's happening to her and really she's not handling it. And of course, we begin to realize that 
she doesn't have faith in herself that she can do this. She doesn't think that she's going to be able to walk in there and do take her exams and do well. And she feels the pressure of her entire future on that moment. And she thinks she's going to fuck it up. Um, so I really like the start of the drama. It was obviously set in, I'm pretty sure it's Seoul, um, you know, big city. There's loads of rain and that's a whole like theme in this whole drama. So it's raining all the time. And, you know, Danby sort of, she has these moments like she's sitting on the bus and, you know, she's kind of wanting to just disappear. Um, I don't know. I really liked it. I just think I, I really kind of connect with the idea of, you know, I guess it's usually characterized as young, you know, young adults going through this stage in their lives where they really don't know what they want to be and what they want to do and who are they and also don't have faith in themselves to chase anything anyway, even if they did know. Um, and I think it's it just feels like such a familiar sort of universal feeling um, <laughs> moment in time, you know, that isn't only relegated for young adults by any means. Like it's probably a crisis that I've been through multiple times in my life growing up, like you know, when I was Danby's age and now that I'm a little bit older than her. <laughs> um, but I don't think those feelings really go away. And I think it's something that we can come back to multiple times in our lives. And that's why I do like that theme in stories, because I do find it so relatable, I suppose, even though, you know, I'm a little bit more solid these days on what I'm doing and what I want to do. Although, you know, that's only been like a year of my life that I feel like I've sorted my shit out. So these things take time. Um, so we kind of see Danby go off to her exam and then she's kind of standing there in the hall. She is absolutely drenched through. There's a rainstorm outside and she's looking at her empty desk. The exam's going to start and she just can't do it. And she runs. So she's running off and she ends up in a park and she just sits there in the rain and she's just having a complete meltdown. Like she can't even do it. So she suddenly hears this like noise from a puddle. Basically she wishes that she could disappear. And she hears this noise from this little mud puddle and it's like beating, you know, there's drums from inside it and she's looking down into it and she can see basically another whole world. So the puddle is like this really little, I don't know, shallow shithole puddle and she puts her foot in and her foot doesn't hit ground. It just goes deep underwater. I love it. It's just this really like, oh, I don't know, just this magical feel to the rain, the pouring rain and her like intense panicked loneliness and isolation like she has people that love her and I also like this about her too you know she is very average and you know she has people around her she's not completely isolated but that doesn't stop her from feeling isolated in this moment and I think that is so true to life as well um so she wants to disappear so she just jumps in and she ends up like deep underwater and then when she pushes herself out of water she finds herself in a non-raiding landscape, in front of the king's palace, in Joseon, Korea, in this huge water pot. And everyone's having a ritual where they are trying to, like, call for rain. And this was really interesting to me because I kind of know a tiny bit about, like, I guess the way things were in Joseon times with, I guess, the Confucius framework. And part of that is, like, the king is the father of the nation. And therefore, if things in the nation go wrong, it's his fault. It's because he's sinned. It's because he's done something bad. 
So in this drama, you know, there's been no rain, there's been a drought for three years and the people are starting to suffer severely. So there's this king sitting up on, you know, a podium and all his ministers are like, oh, our king's like, he's really bad. Like, please forgive him and send rain. It's all his fault. And obviously this king is, you know, super young and handsome and played by the actor Yunzu Jun. <laughs> um, and he's up there and he's clearly like, he's not into this. He's like fucking rain rituals this isn't my thing this is stupid and he's like i love science i don't like magic basically um but obviously there's this big pot in the middle of this huge courtyard and dan b just sort of pops out of it absolutely completely drenched and she comes out and she's hilarious like i love all this stuff she's so like squeaky and cute and adorable but also like larger than life and you know has this huge personality whilst also being able to be like so I don't know like just cute like you want to grab her cheek and squeeze it like it's a really interesting kind of comedic combination I think um so I loved it um everyone because they ask her who she is and she says that she is a gossam which I didn't know, but apparently that is like a way of saying high school student um, in Korean in South Korea. So she's like, I'm a high school student. But the way she says the word sounds very much like the way in Joseon they refer to eunuchs. Um, So obviously everyone thinks that she's a eunuch who is dressed like a complete like crazy person and they all decide that they have to kill her. So she runs off as quickly as she can. Um, And through all these like mad hijinks um the king ends up kind of i don't know it's pretty hilarious but it 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 works in the show because this king is so obsessed with science and maths and progression and progress and you know he he doesn't want the old ways he wants to introduce new ways so for some reason and i even though i watched this like literally yesterday i cannot for the life of me remember why (laughs) he's like i'm gonna kill you unless you prove to me that you're useful by solving this maths equation and she's like fuck i'm really bad at maths i just like ran away from home because i couldn't face maths and then um oh also in my country we say maths and i know um i know at least in the u.s where i think i get you know a lot of listeners for the show you guys say math and that is just an interesting thing that popped into my brain right that moment that has nothing to do with anything i feel like i'm very like hyper i think it's because it's publication day (laughs) sorry guys so anyway, um, the king is like to Zombie, you've got to solve this maths. And she's like, I can't do that. And then she looks at it for like two seconds and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I-, I can fucking do this. <laughs> it's like something I learned in high school. So she pulls out like, you know, her pen from her backpack and just kind of solves it. And he is like completely bowled over. He's like, one, how did you write without ink? This is incredible. Two, how did you solve something that takes all his like mathematicians three days to solve? And she did it in like two minutes. And she's like, hmm, I don't know, like we learn it in school. <laughs> so obviously, as far as he is concerned, she is the smartest eunuch in the whole world. He doesn't care if she's a spy from Ming and if she looks completely crazy in a weird school uniform. He just needs her by his side all the time. So he's just like, teach me this, teach me that. And every time she's like, oh, I don't know. He's like, oh, chop off her head or whatever. So it's very funny. And I think there's a lot of like really well done montages. And I think sometimes in shows, like I'm not thinking K-dramas so much at the moment, but like other shows and movies, particularly movies, I guess, because, um, you know, stories in movies are so pressed for time that they need to show, I guess, relationships progressing through montages. Um, 
And I feel like montages are used like really badly sometimes in a way it's almost like lazy to show people getting to know each other without actually showing it. I loved the montages in this drama. I think they're really, really good. And I feel like the friendship, like this just respect and friendship between um, the king and Dambi is just built up so well through some very funny montages and just these moments between them where, you know, it, it starts off very like a little bit antagonistic, but then, you know, Dambi is a high school student she's kind of figured out pretty quickly because she's a smart girl that this seems to be real. She seems to be in Joseon Korea. She doesn't know which king this is or when it is. She's trying to figure it out, but she can't. Um, but she, you know, she is a modern girl. So she looks at him in his eyes. She talks back to him. They play like, you know, I don't know, times table games. And she's like, you know, if he loses, she does the punishment thing where she like slams her fist into his head. And he's just so... I feel like so taken aback at just being treated like a normal human being. Like it really, it's very lovely to see their friendship solidify. And also more than that, the respect, I think that they end up both having for the other. But even more than that, of course, is through the king's respect for her, Danby begins to respect herself in a way that she has completely lost. And I, I really related to that too, like this idea of having your confidence very slowly over time just chipped away until you realize you do not believe in yourself or the things that you can do anymore, which is horrifying. Like it's such a horrifying way to feel about yourself. And then to start getting those moments where you realize you do know what you're talking about. Like she does know how to solve these maths things. She she does know quite a lot. And so he's questioning her about anatomy, about agriculture, about, you know, how plants, you know, grow and all these different things. And she's realizing that she actually knows a lot, that she really knows a lot. And actually she's very smart because if she doesn't know, she can learn and figure things out and solve things. So I, I thought this was just really, really nice um, to not only see their friendship grow and change, but to see Danby's impression of herself grow and change. So once the kind of funny shit gets over with, there's this big like challenge she has to do. And, you know, she's sort of brought into the court. And obviously at some point, like very, very, I really loved it. You know, he thinks she's a boy at first. He thinks she's like a eunuch. And then he realizes she's a woman and he doesn't really say anything, but it's very nice. And he starts having like some very, very intense feelings towards her all the time, which he's trying to kind of you know, pull back from. And he basically falls completely in love with her, her with him, but she realizes that she is there because she wanted to disappear, because she wanted to run away. So, um, yeah. Okay. I think that's all I'm going to say. Um, obviously there's the whole ending and everything It's really short. I kind of feel it's really weird. I don't feel weird about spoiling, um, long dramas, but I feel like it's cause I can't possibly talk through everything. There's so much that, you know, I just can't touch on in a discussion like this. So there's so much that even if I've spoiled the main plot points, I wouldn't really have spoiled anything. Well, so I think with something shorter like this, um, particularly something so good and so lovely. Um, you know, I've already spoiled heaps of it. So just, just go watch it. Go do it. Watch it. <laughs> All right. So after this, I'm just going to talk about the stuff I loved. Okay. So the stuff that I love about this show um, is just how smartly written it is. It's so short. It's only two episodes, but it's just... 
it's I don't know the progression of the story feels so real and solid and the romance actually feels so well built up for something so short so I think the writing of like the character journeys and relationship changes is just so good um so my second thing on my list was how solid the romance is how swoony it is um it's really moving like actually moving for me I really loved it um another thing I absolutely loved is both leads I think they're so good um just really charming and funny well yeah just so good um so the other thing I've got on my list is how fun it is um it's really like it makes me smile I think it's a very charming fun show while also being very deep and having so many emotional themes and layers to it so I don't know I think that's really clever to kind of match those tones like to be able to be serious and be saying something about having confidence in yourself and your abilities and that age where you feel so disconnected from the world and also be able to be you know, very surface level, hilarious and funny and cute while really taking the time to build up that romance as well. Personally, I thought. And then the last thing I put on my stuff I love list um, was the kisses. There are a lot of kisses in this show um, and they're good kisses, especially the last one. Like, wow, I love it. It's so romantic. Um, My only thing was, I, I don't know, it's like it's such a hauntingly romantic moment but I feel like I'm personally I don't love the song that's played over it I feel like there should have been like silence or like orchestral music or something really like you know hauntingly romantic I felt like that that scene would have been even more moving um but I still really really love it and I I think it really hits home and also the kisses are really nice um so on my list was stuff that I didn't love and then I wrote underneath it nothing (laughs) so I would be tempted to say I didn't love that it was so short but in actual fact um I'm kind of glad because it's so good you know like why ruin something that works and also maybe it wouldn't have been so good if it had been dragged out to a longer length um I guess uh, I really really like the two side characters it's sort of hinted at that there's something going on there and obviously I loved it because she um Jinky Jin Jin Kiju's character is a queen and An So Hyop's character, whatever it, An An I always forget his name. I haven't got it in front of me anymore for some reason. Um his character is like, you know, a lowly dude. So obviously I thought that was very cool and really liked it. And that was about the only thing that would have made me be like, oh, if this was longer, I would have loved to see how that turned out. Um, so the end, I'm not going to spoil it. I really like it. It's kind of bittersweet, I think is what I will say. But I think, yeah, it's kind of beautiful. I don't know. I liked it. So I think that's all I'm going to say. Um, on the drama called Splash Splash Love, which is two episodes long from 2015. Um, I think that is worth your time. Um, particularly, you know, it's so short. What do you have to lose? Maybe you hate it, but you've only wasted two hours of your life. What does it matter? Well, I don't know. No one wants to actually waste two hours of their life, do they? Goodness. Um, no, I'm going to stop talking about it now. Okay, bye. So I think this is a bit of a crazy episode um, and a long one, but also, oh well. (laughs) So this is time now for my random thing of the week. And 
I don't know. Did you guess it? It's history because, you know, I talked about a historical drama, so I couldn't help myself. Um, but I think that the K-drama slash Splash Love has lots of just very... It has interesting history. So the king that is the main character in this little mini drama is, you know, um, the main character Danbi finds out towards the end of the show that this is Sejong the Great. So she doesn't realize it at first. Um, so Sejong the Great is probably, I'm going to say he would be Korea's most famous king. Um, he was certainly the first one that I ever heard about or learned about. Um, I watched a drama called Tree with Deep Roots, which is a serious sagok about Sejong the Great and is a great show from memory. I watched it a long time ago. I really liked it. Um, so Sejong the Great was around between 1397 and 1450, and he was the fourth king of the Joseon dynasty. Um, so he is madly famous because basically the same as in this drama, he was huge about advancing like you know scientific tech and technology like he really tried to I guess progress the Joseon dynasty in all sorts of different ways um, and also he's most famous for personally creating I'm sure you know I'm sure the, surely some people must have helped him but personally creating the Korean alphabet which is Hangul um, so Hangul wasn't called Hangul back then, but obviously before King Sejong, everyone used Chinese characters um, to write in Korea. So they had Korean language, but they didn't have Korean written language. Um, and Sejong the Great is just so famous for literally creating an alphabet so that the people, because so the thing about, um, I guess, Chinese characters um, in that time, you needed so much time and sort of resources to spend the time studying so that you could learn to read and write um, using those characters because I guess they're very difficult. Um, but obviously peasants don't have the time to study. They don't have the means to do that. So basically King Sejong's people were all illiterate and it was only the young one, the upper class people um, that could read and write. And so the idea is that King Sejong was the type of dude who didn't think that was very good, um, which is kind of incredible, I think, for that time period to, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I know I have, but I still find it really amazing. Like, you know, education is how you create change and it's also how you change, you know, you get rid of a class divide by providing education enables people to you know, make more decisions about the future and maybe want different things and progress, I suppose. And obviously a lot of ministers and high up people in the Joseon dynasty in the time of Sejong the Great really did not want Hangul to come into use at all. So they were hugely against it. Um, and apparently after his death, um, it really didn't kind of catch on straight away. I even read in a history book that um, for a long time, I mean, obviously, I guess peasants started using it as well, but for a long time, it really became the language of women. Um, so if women wrote letters to each other, so this is high class women as well. If they wrote letters to each other, it would be in Hangul. And often if a father or a brother or a husband was writing to, you know, a woman, um, they would also write in Hangul. So that was really interesting and I didn't know that. So um, those women really kept Hangul alive, even though a lot of the upper class men were really trying to stamp its use out. Um, but it did survive and it really, I guess, 
you know, it went through the people and the people were able to learn to read and write and communicate and send letters and put up, you know, open letters and, and I don't know, flyers and shit in marketplaces. Like they were able to communicate with each other, which, you know, that is huge. That changes the whole structure of a country. I think it's really interesting. Um, so I've always just thought it was so amazing that a man in such a high up position would do that, you know, would do something that realistically is going to chip away at that class divide and at the fact that there are high positions and low positions. Um, but I did read a history book recently that also said that probably another motivation for King Sejong to do this amazing thing that he did was that he was very focused on, um, I guess, the Confucius ideology of Joseon. Um, and so a lot of the things he did were to reinforce Confucian policies and stuff like that um, during the time. So the idea was that I think when Joseon was first, I guess, founded um, after Goyo ended and, you know, all that stuff happened, um, they built that, they decided that it would be built on a Confucius ideology. Um, so all the upper kind of young bun people were operating in that way. They were operating within a Confucius framework and trying to get the people to do that too. But a lot of the people are just, you know, they're just peasants. They're out in fields or they're just working all day. Um, and I learned the other day that like the average age of life in the Dresden dynasty for like average common people was like 35 years old. So you can imagine these people had very, very hard, tough awful lives. Um, so they didn't really have time to kind of learn about Confucius, you know, anything, I guess, because they're so busy. Um, so apparently Buddhism, which had been um, a major religion during Goryeo time, still really stuck around with the average people and was more just the upper classes that sort of were, you know, more focused on Confucius stuff at that point. Um, and so apparently King Sejong, one of the reasons that he did create Hangul and one of the first, I think, books that he published in Hangul to give to the people was a book about Confucius, um, Confucian policies and, you know, how to live life in that way, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's not like I'm an expert. I don't really know like a huge amount about it, but, um, I did find that just really interesting. Um, because I, I do wonder, you know, what he did is incredible. Um, so the other thing about, I guess, this drama, which is so interesting. So the drama actually shows like he's creating Hangul and in the drama, you know, this high school student, Dambi, really inspires him by telling him, you know, she's teaching him Roman numerals and like, um, you know, Western words like love. And so he's like all these other countries that he doesn't really know anything about at that time um, have their own written languages, but he doesn't. So obviously that's the drama's version of what inspires him. Um as well as wanting to bring words and communication and language to the people. Um, but the other thing that's really interesting, so in the drama, a lot of the things that Danby has to do is, you know, she's given challenges to create things such as in the drama, a way to tell time even when it's cloudy. So, and as the king says, you know, in Joseon, the sun is time. Um, you can tell what time it is when you can see the sun. And if you cannot see the sun because it's like a mad cloudy day, then you don't know what time it is until it gets dark. Um, 
So it's a really scary challenge in the drama for Danby to attempt to create this thing. But she does through, you know, her own like modern knowledge, I suppose, but also like she works really, really hard. She makes all these calculations and she creates um, a water it says here gouge gauge. I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Basically a fucking water clock. Um, so it's to do with like dripping water and that's how you can tell the time. Like obviously I have no idea and I cannot understand how that works because <laughs> I'm not a scientist and I'm not even a chosen scientist. Um, I'm actually, I know nothing about science or maths. Um, I'm very bad at those things, which is why I write stories. <laughs> um, but it was, it's really, I don't know. I just thought that was really cool. So the whole time in the drama, Danby is the one creating all these scientific marvels and An Hyosop's character is like her right-hand man who's, you know, grudgingly helping her the entire time. So she is positive that he is this very, very famous guy um, from, you know, from King Sejong's time called Jung Yong-shil. Um, so Jung Yong-shil in real life, you know, created all these scientific marvels um and in the drama it turns out that actually after you know everything with Danby they King Sejong calls her Jung Yong Shil and she's actually this historic Korean character um sorry real life person who is so kind of remembered throughout history um for all their achievements which is you know really fun I think in the show but of course in real life um Jung Yong Shil who lived you know in the same time as um King Sejong so he was an engineer scientist an inventor. So what's really interesting about him, and I suppose one of the reasons he's so famous on top of the fact of all these things that he created, um, was that he was born a peasant and yet King Sejong allowed him to work in the royal palace and to create all these incredible things. Um, so that's really cool as well because I didn't really know a huge amount about it, but um, I had sort of heard of like the water clock and a few of these inventions that he'd made. Um, and it says here that yeah. Oh, so no, it does. I thought it was going to say that he invented the like printing press, but he doesn't. He just sort of like brings it back, brings it back. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was all really interesting and cool and hopefully not too much boring history for you. But um, yeah, I don't know. I find this stuff so fascinating and I really love when a drama kind of sparks an interest and I go down a little rabbit hole and start trying to look this stuff up. Um, but there you go. That was my very long random thing for this week. So this brings me to the part of my show where I say a huge thank you to my Patreon supporters. So this week I have a special shout out to new Patreon supporter, Barris B. Thank you so very much, Barris B, for coming over to Patreon and supporting me there. It means a huge amount to me. Um, so Barris B sent me a message, which I thought was really cool. Um, they said that they've only very recently discovered K-dramas and have been watching them nonstop for the past several months. Um, I really love this because I, I don't know, I feel like that's such a universal thing when you first kind of delve into that world and it I mean, it's an addiction, right? It really takes over your life. <laughs> um, so Barrisby has said that because they too have no one to talk about K-dramas in real life, they really enjoy listening to my show while they walk their dog, which made me really, really happy to read that. I thought that was really cool. So huge thank you for um, supporting me on Patreon, Barrisby. Thank you very, very much. And of course, a huge thank you to all my other patrons as well. Um, it really means a huge amount to me um, to have your support in that way. It's extremely encouraging. Thank you all very, very much.